To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Uh, I got a brand new podcast for you. So this week I have on Ike Eastman and Scott Reekers. Um, these guys shared a hunt this season. Scott dedicated himself to killing a high country mule deer. And part of the equation for their success this year was to rent llamas. So they rented llamas for a scouting trip and then for the hunting trip. And it just worked flawlessly. Um, it, it's a hilarious podcast. There's a bit of a stigma attached to using llamas, especially when you're you're a guy like Ike, who, who's been born and raised in Wyoming and been a horseman his whole life. Um, I guess these guys have been the, the butt end of a few jokes from their buddies, but uh, it, it, it's a great podcast and it's so informative and it may just change your mind in using stock. We, we touch on horse hunting and on goat hunting and then we really talk about these llamas and, and how beneficial they are to, to hunting high country mule deer because they don't need much water and and how hunting elk, how beneficial they could be to get a big bull out of deep out of the wilderness, you know. So um, these guys have some great experience with them, and they talk about the the benefits and temperament and everything you could want to know about llamas. It's in this podcast, but it uh, it it really changed my mind on them too. Um, you know, I think I could really, I think I could see myself using these for a backcountry hunt. But uh, just a, a great podcast. I really enjoy hanging out with these guys and this podcast is no different uh there's a bit of ribbing throughout it It, it's just an authentic great vintage podcast uh eastman's elevated podcast so i think you guys will enjoy it Uh, sponsor for today's show is on x on x has just revolutionized the way i scout and hunt this program does more for me in the off season and during season than than probably any other thing i use this this on x system it'll sync to your different devices so you can get an app on your phone which will also sync to your computer you can use at your house your laptop or tablet or any device you use and, and it'll move your your waypoints and trails and tracks you know throughout those devices and sync them together uh, you can use on x even if you don't have service the gps in your phone still works you just save maps and you can save them in different detail levels and then you pull them up your gps still works you can actually see the screen on your phone and i use it in real time to to find hunting spots when things aren't going my way or when i'm finding animals or when i when i need to adapt on a hunt i'll use that on x and i can just all the information's right there i can get aerial imagery i can get a hybrid aerial imagery with topography lines topography maps Um, i can see private and public which really gives me confidence in the spots i hunt Um, and and they've got just a a ton of different overlays like 400 different overlays including the eastman's overlay um, which is is all our information that's compiled in our mrs section is all on that app when you turn it on you can click on different units it'll give you statistics drawing odds it'll give you points needed and and then give you the quality of the units just an absolutely awesome overlay including their other overlays like their their burn map where you can see burn and what year they burned, um, their roadless app where they show you where there's roadless country. The the features are absolutely endless. Um, 
Sharing waypoints is an amazing feature where you can actually share a waypoint with a buddy so you can link up in the backcountry at your camp or if you know plans evolve or change, you can send your buddy you know the exact GPS coordinates of where you want to meet. So that's an amazing feature. But Onyx, they're an incredible company with an incredible app. And if you guys aren't on board yet, you guys got to check it out. And they do like a seven-day free trial on that too. Um, so make sure to check them out. Onyx, uh, thanks to those guys for sponsoring the podcast and everything they do and with that over there at eastman's uh, make sure to check out our gear guide we've got a great christmas gear guide uh, up on our website there you can check out be coming out on our next magazine as well um, we also have our christmas picks coming up um, where we all kind of choose um, you know the the, the Christmas picks that would be most beneficial for a hunter that's coming out in the next Eastman's Hunting Journal. So make sure to check that out. Uh, I've got an article I wrote in that new Eastman's Hunting Journal that I'm really proud of. Um, so yeah, be on the lookout for that. And uh, let's see, everybody's just hunting away. I see everybody kind of getting their kids out, um, which is really fun to see. Um, Eastman's Hunting is such a, a, a family-orientated uh, endeavor which is so cool it's just so fun to be part of this company and um i got out this last week and i told you guys i'm just so but uh i was able to get taylor my oldest daughter out uh for an adventure hunt and, and what a hunt it was you know we we only had a couple days and i think we had 14 or 16 hours of driving just to get over there and back but uh we crunched it all in had some great conversations just great one-on-one -on -one time with her and being able to camp out there and and then um we were able to get on a really nice four-point her best buck yet and uh, she was just clutch shooting at that thing those kids are just amazing with the right instructions um they, they can really shoot. Um, uh, it, it's just amazing how quick and how well they learn and how well they listen and, and how serious they take it. Just the ex, uh, the ethics involved. and um, It's just amazing to see her grow up into a, a young lady and be able to spend this quality time with her. So that was absolutely awesome. Um, heading back over this weekend, I got some family over there. They're hunting now. So just trying to get these countertops poured and um, get some stuff done here at work. And um, I'm going to cut out and, and uh, I'll, I'll be burning the midnight oil again trying to get there and get back. But uh, it's just awesome hunting. We got Taylor's deer and then I got a stock on Sunday on just a bomber buck. And um, I drew on them three different times. I had them in bow range bedded in front of me. Uh, it's just an absolutely amazing experience. I did make a mistake in the end. Um, you know, I played everything perfect. I had the wind right. My encounters were right. He was bedded in front of me, and then he got up and pinned his ears back and walked towards another buck and didn't give me a shot. There was one angle where I had a slightly quartering towards, but I knew if I waited, I'd get a better shot. And then, um, anyways, I finally made the mistake when he chased a couple does back and I, I kind of rushed it. He was looking at me and didn't know I was a, you know, I just stayed absolutely still and does kept working into the timber and I tried to draw back on him and he caught me drawn. Um, I had a good range on him. I maybe should have waited till he got back and down below me and I had a better chance when he, you know, wasn't aware of my presence or whatever. But uh, when I tried to draw back, he spooked. But um, what an encounter. I mean, the encounter lasted two, three hours of being close and in bow range of this rutting buck working around him in different angles and an absolute chess match that, that I just, I, I love being part of. And it was, it would have been my best late season buck, my best Montana buck, um, just a bomber wide and heavy tined. And, um, I, I just, um, you know, I, 
I could hunt them with a rifle too, but I just enjoy playing the game. It means so much more to me with with my bow and the challenge of it in that encounter. So I am so jacked to get back there and get back hunting and, and um, yeah, hopefully be able to find him or find another good buck and, and uh, chase him around. So fun time of the year. I love November. So um, this work's just getting in the way of good hunting, but it's, it's all good. I got uh, weekends. We're going to get uh, these clients' house done, get them in it. I've been talking for long enough, just a a lot going on in my life, but this is a great podcast with Ike and Scott, so all about llamas, Eastman's Elevated, here we go. Okay, I'm live here, I've got Ike Eastman and Scott Reekers, I've got them back on the podcast today. Oh, I heard this story about Scott and this mule deer he was after, and I heard these guys rented llamas, and so I just wanted to get them on the podcast and get some information. I know Ike's been riding horses for as long as he's been walking, so I got to hear the reason why you guys went out and got llamas, and thanks again, guys, for taking the time and being on. I sure appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Brian. I I know you're swamped right now trying to catch up from hunting season. I appreciate you taking the time. Um, It's... uh, it's this is a crazy time of year but it's a lot of fun um yeah it was a it was a an adventure that uh that i hope we get to to build on um actually it was scott's idea uh i i didn't want to take the heckling that i'm gonna get over this (laughs) (laughs) scott came into my office for one of our meetings and he said hey I think we ought to go mule deer hunting. I said, oh, that's fantastic. I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, but you know, I'm, I'm over, well over that 40 year mark and things start hurting now. And, and the backpacking's not as easy as it once was. And, and, uh, we just had a discussion and I said, well, we could take horses in there, but I, you know, we've been in there. I've been in there four years. Scott's been in there a way longer than that. Mm-hmm. Been in there, Scott. Since, Seventh grade was the first time I hiked in there, so 13 or 14. So three or four years then? <laughs> Pushing 20. <laughs> so he, he, we were talking, and said, well, I don't want to take horses in there because, number one, you, you have to ride through all the basins, and you'll booger them out if you do that, number mm-hmm. one. Number two, there's a water issue because once you get up on top, you have to drop two miles and 2,000 feet down to get water. And for those of you who don't know, horses need water at least once a day, sometimes twice a day, depending on temperature and if they're working and stuff. And that becomes all of a sudden a lot of work, not hunting, that's tending to your animals, which I've always done. It's, it's nice. It's, it's not bad if the situation's right. Well, this situation wasn't. We're trying to go in stealthy, trying to go in there and, and – uh, not make much of an impact. And as my dad used to call it, coyoting out. Mm-hmm. And so I was, so Scott's like, well, I remember reading your dad's book about those guys, him and some of his hunting partners, my uncle. And then there's a guy named Albert Ellis about, uh, using llamas. And we talked about goats and we talked about pack dogs and we talked about everything. <laughs> My pup is not ready for that experience. (laughs) (laughs) Hunting dogs are not ready. Well, she could probably pack her own stuff. Um, (laughs) But we thought, well, the problem with goats is there's a lot of areas in Wyoming you can't use goats because of the wild sheep. And you can't have goats in 
you can't take a goat into a, an area where there's there's wild sheep because of pastoral and all the other diseases that they could pass on. But llamas, you don't have that problem. And uh, so I got to talking to my dad a couple nights later. We were BSing and having a drink, and I mentioned that, and he goes, you know, for that country you guys are going into, that might be the perfect thing. And I had, I did not know. I'd never really been around llamas much. Uh, I was when I was a kid when he was doing it because they were doing it. I think he told me 1982 or 1983 is when him and my uncle went into the Tetons. Um, they borrowed some llamas from a guy named Albert Ellis who had uh, been doing it for a number of years before that and mule deer hunting with them. And I, I, you know, I was around them a little bit back in the eighties when they were doing that, but you know, I was like 10. So I wouldn't be old enough to really remember it. And he said, he was talking, well, this is perfect because of the water issue. So I came back and told Scott, I said, this is awesome. The water, you only have to water them once a day. And the amount of water that they need, they can pack. They're a, they're from a camel family. So we can get up on top of these really high, you know, 10,000 foot peaks and camp out, pack enough water in there for us and them, camp out for three or four days be completely stealthy and these deer won't even know we're in there don't and they won't care and we won't have to be constantly in and out down the ridge up the ridge blowing the whole basin out and uh so i said put scott on the <laughs> i said well go figure out how to do this if we have to buy them i don't know i'm not real i'm sure my horses aren't gonna be real <laughs> interested in sharing <laughs> okay so i i said go find it and uh where did you, you found them in? Was it the first place you found? So, I I was kind of like you. I, I've driven around, and anyone who's been in that, I'll say that Sublette County recently, there used to be a place there you could rent them. That was the first one I expected. Well, it turns out it this that place had gone away, and so did a little bit more Google searching, and I found a place called Lander Llama Company, and it turns out that the owner there, Scott Woodruff. Um, had kind of taken over this other guy's place. Like, it, I don't know if he bought him out or, or what, but he now has, like, I don't even remember how many llamas he told us he had, but I'll just put it this way. There's one pasture that was definitely full of llamas frolicking when we left. I think he, and, said, I think he said he had 80 of them. Okay, so, so significant. Holy cow. And, yeah. And so I talked with him on the phone, and Ike and I set a date to go on a, on a scouting trip up there because we needed to see, obviously, what deer were in this basin. If we're going to make a, make a hunt out of it, I needed to know what was in there. And, you know, Ike, if he's going to, you know, give up, his, uh, give up his southwest Wyoming hunt to do this, we need to know that it's a pretty big deer. So it was worth the investment to go there and scout and and that's you know that's kind of the rest is history um i think the biggest eye-opener was the the training class we had to do though like we go there for our scouting trip and scott woodruff put us through an entire training course like hour and a half where we were there where he taught us how to use them and i mean it was it was top to bottom education on learning how to use llamas and all the things you need to know so that you can you can use them effectively, their weight limits, how fast you can go. Um, I'm sure he looked at two tall guys like Ike and I and was like, oh, man, these guys are going to walk my llama's tails off. Um, but yeah, was, I don't walk that fast. <laughs> 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 oh, <no. laughs> 
but he he'd been doing it since like the 80, 1984. Yeah. It was thirty some years, I think. And and uh, he, in the summer, he takes them in as pack trips for with youth groups, youth leadership groups. And so all summer, these llamas have been packing stuff in. By the time we got them, they were mean, lean, and in shape. There was no walking them into the dirt by any means. Mm-hmm. Back the day, I think pretty sure they kept looking at us on the way home like, come on, can't you guys walk any faster? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, I, I felt a little out of shape compared to them. That is wild, guys. What an outside-the-box approach to going in there. It's so wild as, uh, uh, Ike, you're such a horse guy, is to take this approach where – they can pack their own water. You you can live out on the tops of the mountains up there and get all your gear in. Um, so that brings up a bunch of questions and some that you guys have already answered. So if they're packing a bunch of kids camps and things, their temperament has to be pretty good with these llamas. Oh, gosh. They're, they're the most calm animal I've ever been around, including my dog. They, there's a few things you can't do with them. Number one, you can't touch their head. They do not like you touching them. <laughs> oh, that's good to know. <laughs> Don't pet them. I mean, you look at them and go, gosh, their head's so soft. It looks, <laughs> no, it looks like a teddy bear's head. But you can't touch their head. And there's a few little nuances, uh, little things that, that you have to be aware of. But they never get mad. They, they, In fact, when we got into camp on the scouting trip, for three days, you didn't even know they were there. Yeah. And every once in a while, you'd hear the jingling of their halter. And, you know, you go out, I'd go out and check on them a couple times a day and go up to where they were and change, you know, move their picket. Because you just pick at them like a dog. Pick at them, and then at about 12 to 24 hours, they eat they eat the foliage there, and you move them around. And the other nice thing is they they don't eat a ton. So, you know, they're not only 350 pounds. So they're, they're not going to eat you out of house and home. So you don't have to find a ton of area for them like a horse. There's no way I could, you could, I couldn't leave mm-hmm. a horse in there for 24 hours and he no. completely nipped off. Um, the other thing, they're, they're like a uh, sheep. So they only have bottom teeth, not top teeth, which means they don't, they don't eat clean to the ground. They actually snip off the tops and strip it, which means that it's easy, easier on the foliage up there. Um, it's not, they don't eat right to the dirt, um, yeah. but it's, you know, they, they don't take much and their temperament's unreal. They never got mad at us. They do have a cool thing though. Scott, tell them about the, the call that they make. <laughs> so we get there and Scott Woodruff tells us about this emergency call that they do. And he mimicked I, it. We never yeah. heard it. We never heard it. You gotta Google it because it's hilarious. And I won't try and do it on the podcast. I know, like you were hoping I would try to do it here. Um, <laughs> but um, when we got back from that scouting trip and told everybody about the emergency call, there may have been about ten people googling and playing it at the same time here. <laughs> um, but we were told, like, be listening because when a predator gets close, they will make that noise and. For Ike and I were like, that's perfect for especially up here in uh, northwest Wyoming where we hunt quite a bit for elk. Well, with all these grizzly bears we have, finding out that one is coming close to your camp way before they get there, that helps with your preparedness. You can, you know, you can, uh, you can be be prepared when 
when that bear that's looking for your cooler or looking for that hanging meat, well, that gives you a warning. And that's, that's nice to have. Or if you step out of the tent to pee in the middle of the night, you don't have to, you know, you don't worry about stepping around the tent when you know that there's something that's been sniffing around for you. And so, and would give you a warning, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's so handy. Well, in those animals, they just sense danger and predators way before us humans do. They they almost have like a sixth sense or they're just tuned in a little bit more to their surroundings. But it seems like when you're like I trail run with my dog for that exact same reason is he'll yeah. sense danger way before I ever see it or realize it's there. And, and yeah. probably the same thing with those llamas. So they got to give you a, a, a little bit of a security when you're in the backcountry and in grizzly country just having them around oh yeah at least it's a at least you're aware of what's going on and, and they have a they're kind of back to their temperament and this this is why i think they're so their surroundings are so familiar to them they, they act a lot like a deer when they feed you know they feed they false feed you know they go put their head down and then pick it up real quick trying to catch something moving um when they drink they do that so it, it's it is really interesting you know, hanging out with them, it's, it's kind of like hanging out with a with a, a mule deer. Um, just, you know, knowing what they know, what's going on all the time, everywhere around you. And it's funny, they do it at water, too. But I'll say this. If you are a person who doesn't like to filter your water after being with llamas, please do. <laughs> <laughs> they, they get their feet in those creeks. And it's like this instant reaction. They just start pooping and peeing before they'll drink. Yeah. And so like, I know a lot of stock animals do that. I know, well, every one of us has seen an elk wallow, you know, and but it's one of those things that it definitely shows you why you should because animals play in that water and llamas are no, you know, no exception. They'll get in there and you've almost got to have them stand in the water for them to drink sometimes. And it's one of those it's, you got to water them, obviously. Yeah, so they, you know, get their feet wet. Their feet are soft, so they are they're not their toe. They have toenails, but their feet, the part that they walk on, is soft. And when they're walking behind you, you can't even tell they're there. You can't hear them. They they are completely soft and sure-footed. They're more. We took on on the scouting trip on the last day. We came out, and on the way up there, we walked. You know, we went up a trail that crossed some slides and stuff. On the way out, we went down a really steep trail, went basically straight down the slide, thinking, well, we're going to try this and see, you know, maybe they're not sure-footed enough. If they're not, we'll scoot over to the trail. Sure enough, they are way more sure-footed, even going downhill loaded, than than, than I was with a 20-pound pack on, less than 20 pounds. Oh, wow. What what a benefit for mule deer hunting is that mule deer country gets so steep, especially that western Wyoming where you guys are at. There's a lot of trails that, I, I mean, Ike, you're a better cowboy than me, but I wouldn't ride a horse up there for all the money in the world. Like, it's just steep and gnarly, but you may feel comfortable taking a llama up there being more sure-footed that yeah. those, those soft feet, they help grip on those rocks. Um, yeah. That's really interesting. And they have toenails. So, you know, going going up through up, you know, up a ridge or whatever, completely soft. Oh, and those toenails, uh, if they ever did get mad at you, they will they literally will gut you open or not you because they don't get mad at you. But a bear, they don't even stand a chance. They their toenails are like four inch long 
claws. And once they get to using them, uh, I, I have a Albert Ellis has told stories about he ha- accidentally got two two males that hadn't been cut in the same um, paddock, and it literally they tore each other to shreds, to death, literally to death. Um, they can be really mean. When you so. think of their claws, think almost like Jurassic Park Velociraptor minus the <laughs> giant <laughs> claw sticking up. You've got four of them on those things. <laughs> oh, man. Just weapons on the front of their feet, huh? And, and yeah. probably the backs, too. Do they do they fend off? Do they fight with their front or their back? I think both. Okay. I think I think I, I think both, but I'm I don't know. I've I've never seen it. Well, it's yeah. good to hear they've got a good temperament. That makes me uh, rest easy taking them into the mountains. Um, yeah, that's so cool. So they weigh like 350 pounds. Um, yep. How much how much weight can they pack? These these llamas, they're two big males and they're in shape, of course. So they they could put you could put 75 pounds on them. Oh wow! Now for short distances. Scott's told us that for short distances, if if he get, he and his daughter have been doing this for 20 years, they go into elk hunting and they'll take two of them, and they'll take a whole elk boned out on two llamas, and of course they pack they put their their camp on their back. So, I mean, it's pretty simple. We had when we killed Scott's deer, we had set we had 75 pounds on both animals. And then Scott had a 60-pound pack, and I had a 40-pound pack coming out, just kind of how it worked. Mm-hmm. And it was that was easily doable. One trip, no big deal. Llamas weren't weren't uh, stressed when we got back. I wasn't too bad. Um, of course, it was downhill coming out versus going uphill. Yeah, it it definitely saved us though, because going in is obviously when you're going to do mostly uphill. Not having any weight on our backs on the uphill left us fresh, and we were prepared to stay in there for almost a full week. And you know, we tagged on the second morning that we were in there, um, so we didn't have to do all all that you know all that strenuous up and down. But I was refreshed; like I didn't feel bad yeah. getting into the truck. And then it's a it's a whole game, it's a game changer when you get into camp and you're not drained, just trashed. When you get into camp, you're like, man, I, I could do that again today. Oh, wait. Yeah, let's do. Let's go to the top of that ridge and glass off into that basin that we usually don't hit until day three. Hit into it on the first morning and the second morning, that's it. We're we're tagged out. I mean, it's a game changer. Oh, I sure. could I could see what a huge advantage it'd be to have fresh legs when you get in yeah. that high country and on those ridge lines and have those llamas packing all your weight and your water right. and getting you to the top. Yeah, I can see how that is a game changer. Well, and um, that's interesting with goats. Is that the same rule that applies throughout all the the western states that if yep. there's um, so if there's wild sheep, then you cannot bring goats in there, and goats can't pack as much weight. It's nice that you guys only had two llamas. That's pretty right. easy to manage. You don't have a right. whole pack string. You just yeah. got a couple of them. You don't got to bring you know 15 goats or 10 goats with you to carry out an elk. Um, that's neat. The weight they can carry. Um, boy, that that does that changes the game for elk too, because killing those elk in the wilderness, they are so tough to get out on your back. But if you just oh, yeah. had access to those llamas to be able to get get your elk out of country um it'd be hugely beneficial well and and they're they pack a lot different 
So they're 75 pounds, but you but you don't put a top pack on them. You can't put much on top, but they pack real low, you know, in panniers. And he and Scott's got, he's got it dialed. I mean, he's got uh, Woodruff's got it dialed. He has his own pack friends that he built. So you you don't have blankets. There's not a ton of tack. There's literally a front uh, cinch and a back cinch and the panniers. That's what exists for everything you need. And 75 pounds, you know, you can get a, a boned out bull elk, put the head on your shoulders and be a 10 mile out walk easy. I mean, super yep. easy. It changes that. And I'm sure every guy that's ever hunted in the backcountry's done this, got in a situation and saw a bull and went, I'd love to kill that bull, but I don't know how I'm going to get it out of there before meat starts spoiling, legs start disappearing you know, bear gets a hold of it, or I just can't physically get in there that, you know, four trips. I mean, it, it's a game changer. Yeah, for sure. it's a real concern with those elk, you know, I'd, I'll kill a mule deer anywhere, but those elk, you yeah. have to think about it. If you're that far back mm-hmm. and you got to pack that out with one buddy or by yourself, yeah, you yeah. got to really consider it because you, you could be signing up for three, four days of hard packing out of a hole in there. But, yeah, if you had yeah. access to those llamas or, or had llamas, boy, it'd, it'd make the job easy. So 350 pounds, they can pack about 75 pounds with those males. Like, um, and, and then you were talking about how you fenced them in and that, that they were pretty good and content in that fenced in area. What did you use to fence them in while you were hunting? Uh, there's no fence. So <laughs> yeah, you, you can't touch their head. So their halters stay on them the whole time. Okay. That was another yeah. one of my questions too. I was going to yeah. get to, okay. So you, you just it, leave their halters on. Yep. It's a little game. You, your, your lead rope, you have a lead rope and it's a little game. Mm-hmm. You never, ever unhook one lead rope until they're tethered the other one but it's a it's a 40 foot um nylon strap and it is connected to a carabiner that that's that uh, screw locks so that they can't unscrew it because he's had trouble with you know they rub their head on the ground and stuff and then the carabiner's off and then you got llamas wandering around but it's a 40 foot strap that is connected to one of those big giant corkscrews i'm sure everybody's seen these for dogs um, where you just go out to your yard and screw it into the yard. It's about a foot long, screws down, and then it has got it's got a D ring on it that spins around the top. That's it. That's all you do. And you got to make sure that you know the 40 foot lead rope uh, lead doesn't get tangled with the other llama or a tree or whatever. So you kind of got to put them open a little space and check them every once in a while. But that's it. That's all. That's all you do. Man, that is wild. And, and they don't. The one thing about them versus goats is goats have a tendency they they can bay, which is obviously annoying when you're hunting trying to be quiet. Um, llamas don't make much noise. That the only noise our llamas made is they hum when they're thirsty. It's a really really quiet hum. In fact, it sounds like a bovine cattle, like a domestic cow, way mm-hmm. off bawling. That's it. But it's, it's a little it's right yeah. And it, at first, on our first trip, Ike and I didn't know what it was till we gave them water, and then they quit. You're like, oh, so they're just thirsty. And so, okay. And, I mean, and- the, two, the two we took a gallon of water in on the first on the that one trip, and they drank a half between the two of them. They drank a half a gallon a day. That's it. Oh, I mean, that's not much at all. 
No, they were drinking less water than Reekers was. <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> I don't weigh 350 pounds, but this body needs a lot of water. <laughs> don't weigh 350, but you're close. <laughs> Come on, now. <laughs> hey, you're 6'5". Come on. <laughs> I'll say 230. How about that? Oh, okay. That, that so, is wild. A half a gallon per day. Well, it's really a quarter of a gallon because they were drinking a half a gallon each or total. Yeah. So it was, it was the, uh, you know, we not knowing I'm a horse guy. I'm looking at this going, they need more water than that. And we tried to, we gave them ample opportunity every day. We gave yes. them ample opportunity. They just, they wouldn't have no interest in it. And it, it kind of freaks you out at first. It's like, I've, I'm not, I don't have nearly the experience with horses that, that Ike does, but like, you know, I had horses on our property growing up and I knew how many five gallon buckets we hauled out, you know, every morning or evening before we got the water line put in and it's, it'll throw you off, like how little they actually consume. And then the other piece of it was we watered them before we did our last ascent up to camp on that scouting trip and they both drank and yeah. so they filled up before. And so it, it wasn't like, you know, they they save it. I don't know how their bodies work. You know, I don't know the you know the anatomy or the biology behind it. But they they just saved this water. Like, and so we do this last climb and they just didn't need it. And, and they hardly moved at all, obviously, for two days while we're there. You know, we're glassing and moving around a bunch, but they're not. And they just didn't need the water like what, what a horse would because – I don't think they sweat. The horse sweats like crazy. Yeah. I don't think llamas do. The other, the other funny thing is they, they have this thing called cushioning. It's where they <laughs> lay down. And they tuck their legs up underneath them, and they lay down on, on the ground. Mm-hmm. And their sternum is where you put you put the front cinch around over the sternum. It's as hard as a rock. And it's it's like a, it's the shape of a 4 by 4 underneath them. And yeah. it's hard as a four by four. And you cinch them when you cinch them up. You cinch them so hard you literally pick them off the ground. That's oh, what wow. keeps the saddle on. When you when you feel it, it's you're almost in shock at how hard it is and how much um, how much different it is than than say like a horse's sternum or where you would cinch up a horse because it's you know you're obviously you're used to what you're used to and the first time you do it it's just odd seems it's not tight. at all what you expect yeah hmm. oh crazy well and uh how nice was it to get that training that run through of these llamas and just what to expect and it sounds yep. like he's so dialed on his system um oh, yeah. w- would you guys ever own a llama or would you just rent well, so here's what i here's the the thought was originally the thought was i told scott i said if this works we'll just buy a couple of them and uh, old Jack, my my black horse, is just gonna have to deal with it, and we'll just use them every year. And then you use a set that's been trained and a set that's been um, that's in shape. And I thought this is we can't. I I wouldn't have time to to ever get them in this good a shape. So you start find you know then you start dealing with that. Plus he's he's doing this every single day. He's done it for 30 years. He's got the right breed. He's you know he's working with them constantly. So they're they are quiet. They don't have temperaments. They're in shape. He's got the the right gear. Unless you were planning on 
backpacking from the first of May through hunting season constantly, it's it doesn't it doesn't warrant even as much as we're in the backcountry, it doesn't make sense to own your own. Because then, you, then of course, my wife's like, yeah, that's when we need something else that we feed all winter. <laughs> 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 well, yeah, all the thinking's all been done. He's yeah. he's dialed on his system, and he's got them ready to go and ready to go in the backcountry. And and that's part of the deal with horses too. Is yeah. is that if you want to use horses, you have to be a horse guy. You have to work them out and work with your horse constantly. Summer pack trips, like it yeah. has to almost be your passion, like hunting's your passion. And yeah. same thing with those llamas. They, you'd almost have to be a llama guy, yeah. you know, well, it, 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 to get them in that kind of shape. That kind of temperament and to behave in the mountains and get the right breed and the you know everything that you stayed in so he's just got him got his system got him dialed and so you just show up and pick him up and he tells you what to do and what not to do and you're ready to go hunting and once you've gone through the course you don't have to go through it again he just tells you like the second time when we actually went in for the hunt he's like yep they'll be in this paddock same two just pick them up when you want drop them off you know, between this day and that day and good to go. So you literally just go pick them up, put them in a trailer. They don't need much room. I mean, you could put, you could put four llamas, well, at least three llamas in a two horse horse trailer. Um, I've seen people, (laughs) my dad back in the eighties, they had these things called stock racks that, that you would put on the back, the bed of your, the back of your truck. And it was a giant cage basically in the back of your truck. And they, they put six of them in there in the back of a pickup. Three guys. Six six llamas go elk hunting. Uh, I think I think there's a story. I'm not sure if I quite have it right, but I um I think it was like a Renella's brother or something was putting him in his van and showing up at different places with a couple <laughs> llamas in his van that he, that he took with him, which is wild. But they don't need much room, huh? No. After getting in my horse trailer, after they've been in there a couple times, I don't think I'd put them in a van. That might be <laughs> a little. I yeah, I don't know if you're gonna get that out of the carpet. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely not getting your resale on that one. <laughs> no. <laughs> your wife's suburban. How'd that go over? It would be funny though. Show up at a trailhead, open up the doors, and llamas start piling out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, that that is crazy, huh? And so, like, like, what's the cost associated with with taking llamas or renting them? Because he's got all the tack and everything, so you don't have to to buy a bunch of gear. Like you say, you just show up and pick them up. You've been through the training. Take them to the trailhead. Like, what's it cost to to rent a llama? Like, a, was it a hundred bucks? Hundred bucks a llama per day? Is that what it was? Seventy five a day, I think. Seventy five. Yeah, that's right. It was it was one hundred and twenty for two llamas per day, which Sounds like a lot, but it's the the equivalent of a hotel room, and mm-hmm. you have something packing in, packing out with you. I mean, it's it's a little expensive. I'm sure you could own them for cheaper than that. But if you're doing two or three ten day trips, you know you got three thousand bucks wrapped up into into llamas for two guys, fifteen hundred bucks a piece. It's not horrible. And, a lot and, cheaper. I know that. Yeah, and. Well, and, and then there's the, like, the guy that taught me how to ride horses, he he looked at me the first time and he said, Scott, the simple reality with horses is that it's not a matter of if you're going to get hurt, it's a matter of when, because of how big they are. And with llamas, you are mitigating that factor dramatically because 
they're a lot smaller. So your, your potential, I mean, unless they go berserk and decide to kill you with their, uh, raptor like claws, which we know their temperament doesn't do that. Um, but you're getting rid of a lot of that risk, a 350 pound animal bumping into you versus a, you know, a horse starting to buck is a, is a lot different experience. Yeah. Yeah. Safety alone. Like you say, those, those, those horses, as good as they are for elk country, yeah, they're spooky. Sometimes they can be scared of their own shadow. And if, if you're not a cowboy like Ike that rides them all the time, I'm just not familiar with being on them and how they react. And, and they're always messing with me. They're always trying to be the boss and swing their head or trying to bite me back. Like, and I always get, like, I never get the guy's best horse. You never get a cowboy's finest horse. You always get his backup or the one that's been out that hasn't been worked out. So that thing's trying to lay down. He's not as sure-footed like and it gets it is downright dangerous they're two thousand pounds and and they're solid muscle and they just that little pea brain on them i know they're smart but they're just really spooky yeah. so i'm with you they definitely sounds a lot safer for me well and who doesn't know a, a guy that's had a horse roll over and almost kill him out in fact one of my high school friends her dad was sheep hunting this year had a horse come over on him and uh, broke his back in the wilderness and had the life light out of him. i mean that's a I think he told me it was an $80,000 airplane or or helicopter ride, and it wasn't that far. Man, that's a lot more than llamas cost to rent. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's um, crazy. And like you say, the cost, like if you're planning an elk trip, it just gives you such a different angle at elk hunting where you can live where there isn't water up at the tops of those peaks, you know. You can access trails that are so sure-footed, you can get to where horses can't, and that's a lot of my strategy when I'm hunting high country mule deer, even elk for that matter. I'm trying to get to country that horses can't survive, where there isn't a lake there that they can water their horses at every single day. Like, I'm looking for that type of country, and it sounds like llamas can give you the access to that, and especially like as we're all getting older, or you just want to access you know country that's deeper you know back in or it, it just gives you such an advantage to plan an adventure hunt for 10 days and access country that's not really being touched you know yeah you can go you know you can go a 10 mile trip easy in the back country and still have you know there was a couple things on the hunt after we scouted with them scouted with them we packed like like if we were going to backpack in there because we had we didn't mm-hmm. know expect but on the hunt i i took a I took a little fold, a little tiny camp folding chair because I knew we were going sit, to be sitting around glassing, and you you take a little bit more food than you normally would, you know, just things like that that just make it a little bit nicer. I mean, we took a stove, which we didn't have to, and so. Oh, you can be so much more comfortable in in. Right. Like in um, today with the gear they have and the teepees and the stoves, yep. you know, um, how do they do temperature wise? Like they're from, um, so so they're from the camel family. How do they do in cold weather? So they're from the Andes, and yeah. and Scott was telling us that he's put them in the ring ringer. I said, do we ever have to worry about any weather? And he said, no, absolutely not. He goes, I've I've had them in there in a late season elk hunt where it dumped three and a half foot of snow and. He goes, I have photos of out there. It was him and him, his daughter, and two other guys. So they had like six llamas. And they had all you see is little heads popped up through the snow. They're just laying in there, just laying down. Because their wool is, oh, my gosh, it's got to be thick. thick. Yeah. They lay down, and he goes, all you saw was heads poking up out of the snow. 
Man, that is really nice. Yeah, you don't have to worry about adverse weather or you know getting too cold to where it's dangerous, where you where you might lose one or kill one or something like that. Are they pretty easy? They have a good temperament. Is it pretty easy to read the llamas? Like you say, they make a noise when they want water. Is it is it pretty easy to read whether they're happy and content or whether you need oh, yeah. to move or whatever you need to do? You can kind of read their body language. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. on, on the pack out, I had um, no. I, I guess it was after you shot. You shot yeah. your deer, and we came down. We packed up our camp, and we came down off the ridge, and we had to go around the end of this point, and then back up into this ba- other basin. And uh, my top pack, because we, I kind of just packed it half fast because we weren't going that far. <laughs> but my top pack slipped off, and it slipped forward. And of course, I'm walking down this hill, and Llama's behind me, and he just stopped. He's like, "I'm not going any further." I turn around, and he looks like a disaster. There's freaking top ass <laughs> wrapped around. He's got his head halfway on the ground because it's so heavy, and so I undo it and put it all back together, and that was it. That was it was as bad as it was gonna get. If that would have happened with most horses. You know, I had six horse out of the six horses. If that had happened with four of them, there would have been bucking involved and broken straps and all sorts of a mess. Yep. Oh, how nice is that? Yeah, I yeah. like their temperament. By the way, you guys are describing it. That's crazy. You just stop so you can repack them instead of bucking and having a a rodeo up on the top of the mountain yeah. on the trail, huh? Well, I've heard. You know, now I don't, we're making this sound pretty good. Yeah, I've you guys sure horror, are. <laughs> I've heard horror stories of people with llamas. Okay. But that's people that bought llamas, put them in the pasture, and took them out during hunting season, never really worked with them. You know, I think mm-hmm. that's the difference. I've been around enough animals and to know that, you know, my bird dog that gets used three times a year versus Todd, the, the wingnut, uh, sorry, the wingman, his dog <laughs> weekend they're different and my dog's worthless compared to his um and i think that's that's the key and that's why i think renting them is the way to go i really do i I really think that's the that's gonna that's gonna make or break a, a pleasant trip versus a headache Wow, that makes sense. So I'll do a little research when I do the intro and the ending to this podcast, but they're probably available in most Western states. Yeah, yeah. I know there's a guy in uh, Montana that's doing this. And Scott rattled off like four or five places across different states that are – I know there's a guy in Colorado. The guy in Colorado is the one that designed like the packs and stuff. Um, Him and Scott are good friends, and and they – they kind of designed the packs and the, the panniers together. And I know there's a guy in Montana that's doing it, and there's a guy in Idaho that's doing it. So, I mean, it's pretty much everywhere. I'm gotcha. sure in Nevada and Utah. Wow. Um, so with their good temperament, you could probably have a string of them, say if you were elk hunting with a buddy and you needed to bring in three or four. Oh, yeah. You can just – what do you do, like um, halter them just, together or something? Yep. Tie them together. He showed it. You you tie the lead rope right to the pack saddle, and uh, they go right along. In fact, um, Scott, that's how you got. Did you? Did you? I don't know. Did you pack them together or did you just uh, I, separately? I thought about it, but I just decided, you know what? Before I do that, I'm gonna try leading them on separate sides, and that worked just fine. I was worried I was gonna start getting stepped on on my heels and things like that because we were going downhill. 
Um, but it, it worked just, it worked fine having them on each side. So I never did, but I mean, I thought I was going to have to, cause it was a pretty steep hill where I had to bring them down to water and then haul all of our water for both, um, us, you know, Ike and myself and then, and then water for the llamas. Cause well, I can, I kind of, uh, spaced bringing along our collapsible water jug that we had planned to use for the llamas. So we had to make do with a Everly stock dry bag and a trash bag. Went Scott in the middle of the day, second day, Scott went and got water as I stood there and I stayed up there and watched the deer cause we'd found them in the morning and it was a really weird situation. We had seen, we, we, we were watching these bucks uh, move. They started at 1500 yards away from us and they moved just closer and closer and closer about every hour all through the day um, until Scott shot it at 3:30 that afternoon. I saw him every hour, which was weird. Usually, you know, they head down in the middle of the day, you don't see him again. Um, but for whatever reason, uh, we were seeing him every hour. So somebody had to stay up there and, and watch and see, make sure, you know, that we didn't lose him. And it was a good thing because by the time Scott got back, uh, I had I, the deer were right underneath us, 350 yards or whatever it was. And, uh, you know, it, we were able to make a play on it. Whereas I don't think that would have worked if we'd have both went and got water. I, yeah. I, I would have missed them because they were in the, they were in these, this tree opening that you could barely see them. And then poof, there they were. They'd have been in our lap before we knew it. Yeah. We, well, we would have stood like, if we'd have both gone for water, I think there's a real chance that they would have shown up in that slide that was right below us, like yep. right on the edge of that. And we have spooked them. Yep. And so that was actually a good situation to be in. It was, it worked out really well. And poor Scott had to go get, what's it, how many liters did you get? Was it 20? I don't know. It was ridiculous. <laughs> I think 30 20 liters of water, a dry bag full for the llamas. We were planning on staying up there for a week and, we shoot the deer and <laughs> I dump it all out. <laughs> well, that's how it goes sometimes. Better to have enough than not enough for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, have too much than not enough. But yeah, that's that is wild, guys. Um, what a great approach. What a good outside the box thinking and renting those llamas and and paid off. You guys were able to go in there, survive at the top, and then catch up with that great deep fork buck. And um, able to harvest them, and like you say, I, I don't think it would have worked any other way. With goats, I think they, you know, yeah. furthermore, you couldn't take goats in there because of the sheep. Right. And then horses getting them in there, um, you're just not going to be as low impact. It, it just sounds like you hardly even realize the llamas are there, and that's what you want when you're when you're hunting with stock is to be able to yep. focus on your hunt. They kind of, you know, you've got to keep an eye on them, but they kind of take care of themselves. Make sure they've got water and food, and you're good to go. Yeah, I mean, you literally you get them in there, pick at them, and I check on them, you know, a couple times a day is all, literally, and then move them, you know, because we got in there at uh, where did we get in there at midday or night or whatever, yeah, and I just that twenty four hours later I just move them around, and uh, it, they were super in, it. and that's what like you said, that's exactly what you want with pack animals. You want to get in there and then not have to deal with them, and that's that's as close as you're gonna get. Yeah. Man, that is so slick. For elk hunting, for high country mule deer hunting, 
Um, yeah, for high country mule deer, like as the years keep getting up on us, the the backpacking gets tougher and tougher. And to be able to walk, you can walk anywhere, no matter how old you are, as long as you got something carrying your weight. All you yep. got to do is walk in there and lead them in there, and, and they yep. can take your entire camp with you. Like you say, you're even a little bit more comfortable. You can take some good food with you. You got plenty of water. You know, it, it's it's probably even more advantageous because they can pack 75 pounds. Like you can carry more water on those llamas then you can carry backpacking up there so oh, yeah. you could actually live in waterless country for yep. longer which is a huge key to my success in high country mule deer because you're just getting to where guys can't stay and hunt they hike yep. with one nalgene 32 ounce bottle of water they get there and as soon as they get there they got to turn around and go fill their water you know and so like mm-hmm. like that's such a huge advantage that you could stick enough water to be able to live up there for a week in one of those spots yeah yeah, and it's it's a the water's a key issue, and then just the amount of of food. You know, well, we couldn't have got horses where we were. I, I could not have got a horse there. No, okay, not as it just wouldn't have worked, and I couldn't have stayed there overnight for sure. Yeah, it, we'd it, have been hiking up and down that face, which could have potentially run another buck or a bull elk or something through the country where this deer was living. Yeah, um, we had to get up there and stay put. Yep. Yeah. It wouldn't have worked any other way then. Nope. Oh, wouldn't that have. is wild. Good on you guys. Um, that's so well, fun we'll, to hear about. Well, we'll, we'll prepare. I, I, I'm prepared for the barrage of heckling I'll get. <laughs> so there's quite a bit of heckling that comes along with llamas when you're a horse guy. Is oh, that the deal? God. Oh, gosh. I told two of my friends that the weekend before we went in there the first time. The first thing, they just look at you with this dumb stare like, what did you just say? And, oh. <laughs> Yeah, now I'm getting llama photos and YouTube llama songs, mm-hmm. and somebody <laughs> just told me today about a llama sweater for ugly Christmas. <laughs> God. So I've got a buddy. He's actually from South Africa and is a horse trainer. He now calls me the llama man. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, it it doesn't matter if you're bringing big bucks like the one that you killed out of there, Scott. I'll be a llama man my whole life if that's the case. You know that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a win we'll in my it. book. Yeah, that's um. Uh, well, that's really cool, you guys. Yeah, thanks for coming on and sharing and answering all the questions about llama and rentnum. Um, it's it's something that our audience can sure learn from, and it it just gives you a different angle on hunting the backcountry. So I really like it. That was ed- educational, and I learned something. And boy, I like I might be a llama man in the future. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you guys have questions, if those guys have questions, shoot me an email or. Or whatever, and try and try and answer it for sure. So. Yeah, and, perfect. And, and we've also got an article coming out um, that Ike and I put together. We photo documented everything we did, and obviously videoed it. And so there's a kind of a written, you know, written resource there coming out in the, the next issue of Eastman Hunting Journal. Yeah, if you guys if they subscribe pretty quick, they can get it. So. Yep. Nice. It comes out in the next issue, which comes out. Um, let's see. It just went to print, right? Uh, it's going to print, yeah, it's going to print uh, tomorrow, and so if they subscribe within the next month, they'll the, they'll get it, they'll get the magazine, and it comes out about between Thanksgiving and the 10th of December, so. Man, um, that's what I love about Eastman's, always thinking, um, coming up with new ideas and new approaches to hunt in the backcountry and being successful. That's awesome, guys. Well, thanks a bunch. I really appreciate it. Yep, thanks, Brian. Yep. Okay. No problem, Brian. Thanks. All right, guys, that's a wrap. 
Um, really fun podcast with those guys. Uh, I really enjoy hanging out with them. Um, they, they're just fun guys to be around and, and, uh, gosh, that, that, uh, so much information in there. It makes me think about using llamas. Uh, that's crazy. Uh, it's crazy how well they worked and, and, uh, how low impact they are and little water they need and sure footedness and temperament. And, uh, it seemed like a perfect scenario for these guys. And I'm sure things could go wrong, like with anything, but it seems like that guy they rented him from was really dialed and they had to take that instructional course. And, um, you know, I'm sure you could train your own the same, but, um, yeah, it's just uh, it's awesome. Those guys were uh, thinking outside the box this year and used different tactics, and then were successful. I mean, Scott killed a bomber buck, um, so they were successful. And then, um, and and then to to share it all, you know, through the podcast was really enjoyable. So thanks to those guys again for being on. Uh, sponsor for today's show is Onyx. Again, you guys, Onyx is just my favorite app, my favorite program. I absolutely love it. Um, they, they do that free seven day trial. Again, you can use it. Even if you don't have service, your GPS will still work. Uh, you just save your maps and you're good to go, but just an absolutely amazing program. And it has definitely helped me be more successful on public ground. So I can't thank those guys enough for sponsoring the podcast. And with that, yeah, um, over there at Eastman's, uh, see guys uh, still being successful and still embarking on hunts. We're in the middle of the rut here in Montana. If you guys could tell on that intro, I am so jacked to get back there. So fun to share that hunt with my daughter Taylor, and then um, and then I was able to get a stock on the last morning we were there. Uh, but yeah, just uh, in it's incredible hunting right now. They're rutting really hard. I just can't wait to to keep getting after these things. And um, yeah, it's it's just fun to fun to be in the mule deer woods and fun to experience that rut. And, um, I just love it with a bow in my hands. So, um, can't wait to get back there. I'm going to get this podcast out, a little work done, pour these concrete countertops. And then, um, I'm going to get back over there and uh, be a lot of driving, but, uh, I'm going to get back over there and hopefully I can get into some good hunting and hopefully earn another stock. So, uh, I'm, I'm absolutely jacked. So fun, such a fun time of the year. Um, yeah, with that, I better end this thing and go get some work done, speaking of, and um, I'll check in with you guys next week.